This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, July 11th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News in Detroit. And I'm Callan Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, the UAW rules out handshake ceremonies. The EPA gets more opposition to its emissions proposal. And Toyota prepares to make fuel cell stacks in Kentucky. Plus, what does Lordstown's bankruptcy tell the industry about Foxconn? Lordstown basically makes the case that Foxconn uh, entered this agreement without any actual intentions of making good on its promises to undermine Lordstown business. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. The UAW is abandoning its longtime tradition of starting contract negotiations by coming together with top executives from the Detroit Three for ceremonial handshakes. Instead, union leaders are planning this week to visit assembly plants around Detroit to meet with members and hear their concerns ahead of bargaining. The union said negotiations with Stellantis will begin Thursday, followed by Ford Motor Company on Friday and General Motors on July 18th. UAW President Sean Fain said Monday that he'll, quote, shake hands with the CEOs when they come to the table with a deal that reflects the needs of the workers who make this industry run. The handshake ceremonies were typically held in mid-July and attended by top union bargainers as well as CEOs and other executives from Ford GM and Stellantis or Fiat Chrysler before that. Both parties typically offer public comments and are photographed reaching across the table to shake each other's hands. Yesterday, we told you about the UAW's opposition to the EPA's proposed emissions rules. Now Toyota and Stellantis are adding their concerns. The automakers blasted a Biden administration plan to squelch auto pollution, saying it compels aggressive and unrealistic sales of EVs that strain critical mineral supplies. In comments filed with the federal government, the automakers warned that proposed emission curbs for cars and light trucks are overly optimistic and discriminate against plug-in hybrid vehicles. To reduce carbon dioxide emissions and smog-forming pollution, the EPA envisions automakers will have to massively boost electric vehicle penetration. It projects a need for EVs to account for 67% of new light-duty vehicle sales and 46% of new medium-duty vehicle sales in model year 2032, up from less than 10% now. Toyota said the proposal underestimates key challenges, including the scarcity of minerals to make batteries, the fact that these minerals are not mined or refined in the U.S., the inadequate infrastructure, and the high cost of battery electric vehicles. What Toyota is ready to do is start manufacturing fuel cells for heavy trucks so they can haul goods without producing harmful emissions. The company said it will start production of hydrogen fuel cell drivetrains in December on a dedicated line at its massive assembly complex in Georgetown, Kentucky. Under CEO Koji Sato, the company has created an independent business unit called the Hydrogen Factory to spearhead hydrogen-powered emission-free technologies as part of the company's multi-path approach to achieving carbon neutrality by 2050. The head of the unit said tapping into trucking will help Toyota reach fuel cell volumes as high as 200,000 commercial and passenger vehicles by 2030. In addition, the world's largest automaker is already planning a next-generation hydrogen system that slashes costs while boosting range and durability. 
And a California auto dealer has died in a plane crash. Abraham Razik, 46, was a partner in Hyundai of Yuma and Kia of Yuma, both in southwest Arizona and owner of Fullerton Ford, Orange County in Southern California, which he bought in August 2021. He and his wife, Alma Razik, 51, were among the six passengers on board the Cessna C-550 business jet that crashed in dense fog short of the runway at French Valley Airport in Riverside County, California. There were no survivors. In 2016, Automotive News recognized Razik as a 40 under 40 honoree. Razik's dealerships in an Instagram post said, quote, he was a loving husband, father, brother, and proud United States Marine. His spirit and passion for life will not be forgotten along with his commitment to making his community a better place. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, UAW is refusing to stick to the tradition of the ceremonial handshake. Do you think this is the UAW setting the tone for these talks? Yeah, for sure. Or if anything, it's it's maintaining the tone. Uh, Sean Fain has had this combative, militant uh, rhetoric through his campaign to run for president. And now since he's been elected and he's really maintaining it and, and part of it makes a lot of sense. These events have been pretty awkward as uh, Michael Martinez reported, you know, four years ago, automakers were the ones in the awkward position. They had to pose with then UAW president Gary Jones, even as he was under investigation for a corruption scandal that ultimately sent him to prison four years before that, uh, Fiat Chrysler CEO Sergio Marchione hugged then UAW President Dennis Williams, which you know many members took as a sign of way too cozy relationships. And of course, Williams also was later convicted in the corruption scandal. So there's a, a lot of optics they're trying to redefine. But a lot of it, like you said, comes back to that setting the tone uh, that this is going to be a you know combative, confrontational process. I can't wait till this becomes a made-for-TV documentary. <laughs> Coming up, Molly Boygon and Pete Bigelow discuss Lordstown Motors' dispute with Foxconn. That's next on Daily Drive. Your service check-in process sets the tone for your customer's entire visit. Do your customers wait longer than five minutes to check in for service? Are your advisors presenting upsells to every customer every time? How often is the opportunity for a trade appraisal missed? When your service drive gets busy, these inefficiencies directly impact revenue. Give your customers the option to handle the entire check-in process themselves, from appointment scheduling through final confirmation in under two minutes. Customers have the experience they want while selling themselves, which means your advisors are freed up to focus on profit-producing activities. It's a win-win for CSI and your revenue. Introducing a smarter service lien. GoMoto is the self-service kiosk designed to grow your business. If you're ready to start increasing revenue, improving the customer experience, and maximizing service efficiency today, visit GoMoto.com. That's G-O-M-O-T-O ocom Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Lordstown Motors' recent bankruptcy filing could have some big implications for other EV startups. Specifically, Lordstown is pinning the blame on its manufacturing partner, Foxconn. The Taiwan-based company is probably best known for its work making iPhones for Apple. Foxconn's partnerships with electric vehicle startups once promised as a pragmatic step toward production for companies with no manufacturing experience. EV companies including Lordstown, Fisker, and Monarch Tractor all reached production partnerships with Foxconn. 
The plan was that they would design the vehicles and Foxconn would use its manufacturing expertise and supply chain relationships to launch production. But things haven't gone as planned. Automotive news tech and innovation reporter Molly Boygon has been looking into Foxconn's record in the auto industry since before Lordstown's bankruptcy filing and concurrent lawsuit against Foxconn. She spoke with our own Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. Here's a piece of their conversation. Uh, you have been doing a, a extensive reporting on on Lordstown and and Foxconn, and in a way, you you had a lot of prescient work already <laughs> in progress that published before the bankruptcy last week. So I'm curious, from your perspective, Molly, what did you learn? Did you think during the course of your reporting on the first story that you did, um, did you see the tea leaves kind of playing out uh, in in short succession? The, the way that they have. I wish that I, I could claim that it was sort of a prophetic uh, reporting strategy on my end, but um, mostly I was just interested in taking a look at Foxconn because I had been hearing and reading about these various EV partnerships. Lordstown, obviously, Fisker has a Foxconn manufacturing partnership, um, Monarch Tractor, and then uh, Indy EV just has a as a agreement to create a prototype with Foxconn. But you know this you know this this was obviously a trend, and I wanted to take a closer look at it. And um, through the reporting, realized that while the EV companies were involved in these partnerships to basically get to market faster, to have a more asset light model, to um, you know, make fixed costs variable through you know through these manufacturing partnerships. Ultimately, none of the three, Fisker, Lordstown, and Monarch, had reached commercial scale production and in fact had pushed back production timelines. So, you know, began to explore Foxconn's history in the US, which even outside of automotive manufacturing has been uh, has had some deals collapse, you know, notably the Wisconsin display manufacturing plant. Uh, during the Trump administration and uh, some other projects. So it was obvious through the reporting that there was some issues with the Foxconn American EV manufacturing partnerships. Um, and then, you know, relatedly, I've been covering cash burn for some of these EV startups. And so I knew that Lordstown uh, was struggling to pull together enough cash to continue its operations. I didn't know that it was going to happen as quickly as it did, or or I guess it, as quickly in relationship to the publication of the Foxconn article as it did. So I'm curious, and uh, you know, I, I started out framing this as like Lord. I want to talk about Lordstown's bankruptcy, but if I, if I hear you right, this is this is not just a Lordstown story, but like, so what's next for Fisker? What's left for Monarch Tractor? Yeah, those are those are great questions and actually even more relevant in the wake of the bankruptcy filing because Lordstown, in addition to its Chapter 11 filing, also filed an adversary complaint against Foxconn in which it's pursuing damages of an amount that's right now unknown that they're hoping will ultimately be determined at a trial. But Lordstown basically makes the case that Foxconn entered this agreement without any actual intentions of making good on its promises to undermine Lordstown business. Uh, the the complaint is pretty uh, extraordinary in the language that it uses. Um, it, it's, it says that Foxconn wanted to starve Lordstown out of existence and that ultimately it wanted to uh, bring its own vehicles directly into the US market, um, you know, in direct competition with Lordstown. So if that's true, uh, 
that 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 raises a lot of questions about the Fisker and Monarch partnerships because for Fisker in particular, you know, that that also raises raises questions about the the extent that Foxconn is looking to actually compete with its manufacturing partner. And then even beyond that sort of conspiratorial air, it also I think turns attention toward those manufacturing partnerships and puts them under additional pressure, especially from investors who are watching this and and who viewed the Foxconn partnerships as you know sources of cash and as I said, a sort of expedited process to bringing the vehicles to market. So uh, if I were at Fisker or at Monarch Tractor right now, I would um, you know I would be certainly wanting to get some answers and and you know provide updates for investors and for other people that are watching those companies. Molly, you mentioned the uh, extraordinary language in some of those filings. So um, I want to pivot from that a little bit, but I want to sing your praises and make sure that our our listeners go read your stories. Like you wrote in uh, in one of your stories, I can't remember if it was the first one or the second one, that, that Lordstown re- resembled Wiley Coyote and the saga <laughs> itself uh, resembled a, you know, a novel of some kind. I'm trying to remember who you compared it John to. John Le Yes, that's right. Um, that was, so I think your story was a great read and, uh, I, I love the fact that we were talking Warner brothers cartoons and a <laughs> a bank. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed that. And it's true. I mean, when, when I was revisiting Lordstown history for the story, it really has had sort of nine lives from even its inception, this sort of chaotic Twitter announcement that then President Trump made naming the wrong company as purchasing the former GM Lordstown plant, uh, you know, to some of issues with its uh, pre-orders. The the company ultimately found that it overstated the number of pre-orders that it had for uh, the endurance and, you know, just a series of other issues along the road culminating in this, like I said, John le Carre sort of mystery spy novel like narrative about a would-be savior that secretly was plotting conspiracy against the company to enrich itself in the EV um, market in the US. It's 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 a it is a truly uh compelling tale. And yeah, I do hope that people go and check out the articles. Like as I did, I did have, you know, fun with some of the language and and you know it's just as I said, it's just a really interesting story and a, an interesting history that's worth knowing. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Michael Martinez, Hans Greimel, and Gail Howe for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on the UAW, environmental regulations, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for my conversation with a 30-year dealer about consumer optimism, generational transitions, and how race continues to complicate auto retail and much of American life. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.